be seated. Our scripture for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Before we read the, the word of God, we um, offer this prayer, prayer of illumination. I invite you to join in uh, saying this prayer with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Paul writes to the church in Corinthians, I will remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand through which you also are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom were still alive, although some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether, whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, our, as we begin a, a new sermon series, our focus today is on gospel, um, the gospel message. And in, there is, uh, our text today finds us in First Church of Corinth, and there has been some problems in First Church. Uh, you see, uh, as they were planted and they grew up, there began to be some some infighting and some problems about how we ought to do things. And this happens in churches uh, from time to time. Some people thought that communion should be served at the beginning of service. Some people said, no, you need to wait to the end. Other people uh, complained about, uh, um, about uh, the, the, the Lord's table and as a whole. Other people complained about women in ministry and what that should look like. It's what happens in church. Sometimes we disagree about how to do church. The Apostle Paul is writing to the first church in Corinth, and if you read through the book, he has been explaining like all of these particular points of how they might go about being a church, and he gets to the end of his argument, which is 1 Corinthians 15. And at the end of his argument, what he wants to do with the church is lay out what is the common ground of the church. Because he knows this is not the end of differences. And so if we have differences, we need to stand on common ground. What is it that this church thing is all about? And the, the, the answer is, we're all about the gospel. 
Um, the, the beginning of the church, the core message of the church, the, the unifying message of all of the church is the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the word gospel, this Greek word, it's not just for any old good news like um, if you were hoping for a C and you get a B on a test, I've done that many a time, some of you may have done that before. That's good news, but this gospel message is good news for everybody. Uh, when, the, when the Greek people, when the Romans used this word, good news, it meant it was news about something important that was going to change the kingdom, that was going to reshape your neighborhood. It, would, it meant something very big. And for us, this gospel message should reshape everything. Uh, the gospel message Paul proclaims, he says, this is what I received and I passed on to you, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That Jesus Christ was dead and was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, and he is ascended into heaven. He's going to come back. There is salvation for us all because of the resurrection. Um, you see, in that church, there was a debate, is there, will we be resurrected, or when we die, do we just disappear? And Jesus said, uh, and Paul says there is a resurrection because Jesus was resurrected. And because Jesus was resurrected, it means that we no longer fear death. Th this is important. I, I don't know if you've ever heard that old saying um, that uh, the only thing in, uh, guaranteed in life is death and taxes. Um, but I don't know about you, but when I read the news, I see plenty of people can get around taxes, but... Death is something that we can't get around except Jesus, what the Bible tells us that at, through the resurrection, Jesus conquered the grave. We no longer have to fear death. So what does it mean for a church, for a people to be a, a resurrection people, a people so informed by the gospel that we are no longer afraid of death? I want to focus on three verbs today um, that Paul says. He says that we, he, um, the words that he proclaimed, they receive and so they must stand. And I want to talk about receiving. He proclaimed they received, they stand, and then he goes back at the end and says, so then we proclaim Receiving, standing, and proclaiming. I think these three words uh, point to how we are supposed to live now that we understand the gospel. The first step in the gospel message is reception. You have to receive the gospel of Christ. And what that means is receiving the grace of God. Uh, but when we receive the grace of God, it has, it has some, some, some levels, some dimensions to it. Because upon it, receiving the grace of God, it's an acknowledgement that I can't save myself. When I say yes to God, I am saying, in effect, I know God, Jesus, I cannot do it all on my own. I recognize that I am in need of salvation. I recognize that I have done wrong. I, I, it's, it's a recognition that, that we are human and God is God and we are in need of him. The second part, and just as powerful, is a recognition that God desires us. It's, this is the beautiful thing because we are in need of God and God desires us. And so there's a union that is salvation when we recognize our need and God's desire for us and we say yes to Jesus. 
Um, as we say yes to Jesus, it also begins to change how we view the world around us. Paul, in, in the, same, the same author in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, um, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is salvation first for the Jew, but also for the Greek. And then he begins to go through all the book of Romans, and he, he talks about it in, in, in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians, that in Christ Jesus, the dividing walls begin to be broken down. Uh, because when I recognize that I am in need of grace, all of a sudden I can no longer look with uh, sort of this superiority, this religious superiority at my neighbors. I recognize that we are all in need of grace. When I say yes to Jesus and I say yes to his grace, I can't stand on my high horse anymore and look down on others because I know that they need grace and I needed it just as much as them. That our salvation is not tied up in what we do, but in what God has done for me and for you. It means for me, um, this temptation we all have to look down on other people and to feel superior to them, no matter what is going on. Like my Cougars lost yesterday in a tough game, but I still look down on people from Al uh, Alabamans, right? Uh, because I think that the Cougars are morally superior to the Crimson Tide. And that's something that God is working in my heart about. But I don't think no matter how many national titles you win, it changes that, right? But in Christ Jesus, we're all the same. Paul says it this way. He says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, In Christ there is no longer a slave nor free man or woman, Jew or Greek, um, barbarian or Scythian, but we all are made one in Christ. So in Christ, we not only say yes to Jesus, but we begin to say yes to our neighbors in new ways. We receive this grace, this gospel, we say yes. And that begins our journey. But then the next step in our journey is that we must stand in that grace. What does it mean to be a people that stands in the grace of God? It means that when we say yes, we recognize that our yes is not just a one-time thing. It, it didn't just happen um, way back when and at, at some summer camp or, or at some church event or, or whatever, at baptism, where you said yes one time. We recognize that yes is a, a daily practice. There's a guy named Greg Hawkins. He has a book called More. And in, in the book More, what he talks about, he has this little section where he talks about saying yes to God um, is saying no to our kingdom. And he starts off by telling the story about when he was a kid, right? Um, I don't know if any of you had this experience. I identified with this. He said he loved whenever his parents got a new major appliance, like a refrigerator or a, a washing machine, because whenever that happened, there was always something that came along with that major appliance. Some of you might already know what I'm talking about, a box, right? And when you got that box, he said his father would always let him have that box and he would, he started, he would decorate that box, he could sleep in that box. He, in that box, he would dream about going to outer space or, or having his own house. Um, in, his, in his parents' house, he couldn't draw on the walls, but in, when he dreamed of that box being his house, it was his kingdom and he could do whatever he wanted. He could draw on the walls and he felt very comfortable in his kingdom. 
And what he said is when we say yes to the gospel message, what we recognize is that we have to say no to our box. Because what we do with our life is sometimes we, we, we like to try to create this little kingdom that is ours where we are in control and where we are, are the king, we are the queen, this is our castle, this is my area, and as long as I have control over this area, whatever it is, whether it be your, your desk at work or your home, whatever you say, this is my area and I'm going to control this and, and then um, I, I'll just worry about this. And when we say yes to God, it means that we let go of the imagination that we even have a kingdom. Saying yes to God is stepping outside of our box and into the expansive box that is God's kingdom. When we stand in the grace of God daily, we let go of our kingdom and let go of, of, of dependent on ourselves. I, I like the way Timothy Keller says it. He says, he says um, there are three, three options. He says there's the gospel, there's irreligion, and religion. When we live, he says, when we live in our own kingdoms, we choose either irreligion or religion. Irreligion, he says, is all the people who say no to God completely, right? That's, that's an out, out flat no. I don't need you, God. I don't care about God. I'm not thinking about God. And he says that's a temptation for all people. Um, but then when we get in the church, we say yes to God, but we are tempted into religion. He says religion is almost the same practice. It's when we set up a kingdom for ourselves, we've said yes to God, but what we say in religion is that God, I will do good and I will earn your faith. God, just trust me. I, I know that I said yes to you, but I am going to live my life and then I'll present it to you at the end of my life and I'll say, look at what I did by myself, God. Aren't you proud of me? And the gospel message is no. I am every day going to be living fully dependent on who God is. When I stand in the grace of God, it means that I let go of the, of the, the idea, the, this imagining that I can have my own kingdom that I present to God one day and say, look how orderly I have made this. The reason that we have to do that is because when we don't do that, what we do is walk around with the stress and the burden of carrying all the load on our own. I thought about this in, in my own context because um, I have three daughters and each one of my daughters, uh, my wife was on bed rest. Um, we were really worried about how they, would, how they would come, if they would be healthy and whole. And I was very tempted to think that each one of those girls was my responsibility and mine's alone. And I would talk to God and I remember being in the hospital um, when, my, when my second daughter was born and I was thinking, I was so stressed out because I was thinking about how perfect of a father I needed to be. Now I had two girls to worry about and I was thinking about all the things that I needed to change and how I could be better. And I was telling God, I was praying to God and I was saying, God, you know, I'm gonna take care of these girls that you gave me and I'm gonna make sure that I do well. And God just spoke to me in my prayer and he said, they are still mine. 
Yes, I entrusted them to you, but they're still mine. You do not have to carry this load all your own because I am still in the picture. And I think we have to, every aspect of our lives, we say yes to God. We stand in grace by saying, God, this is still yours. All of me, my gifts, my talents, my graces, my finances, my time, my energy, it's all still yours. I thank you for what you've given me but I'm still going to trust you with it. An amazing example of that, I think, is uh, a book I read in college. It's called God's Smuggler. God's Smuggler. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, it's about a guy named Brother Andrew who, after, after the World War II, um, he decided that he was going to join a missionary agency that their job was to smuggle Bibles into the communist bloc. Um, after World War II, the communist bloc, they were, they were getting rid of religion. They were, um, there were house churches, but it was illegal to practice your faith in public. They were getting rid of burning Bibles, getting rid of Bibles. And so Bibles were hard to come by. And Brother Andrew started, he would do these border crossings with Bibles tucked in his car and hidden in places so he could get them um, to people who needed them. But the way that they prepared them for this mission was to send them out to preach the gospel in England when he was learning in England, and they would have to depend on other people for all of their needs, and they couldn't even ask. So they would preach the gospel, and they couldn't ask for an offering at the end. Um, they would go to these little community groups and everything and then, where it was free to preach the gospel, and they just had to depend on God's grace. And he writes in the book about learning. He thought that he was a believer his whole life. He grew up going to the little church down the street from his house, and he had, he decided to be a person who would smuggle Bibles into uh, the communist block. He would think that this is a really great Christian, and he said it wasn't until then that he realized how how much of his life was him doing for God, hoping to earn God's pleasure. What the gospel says is God is already deeply pleased with you. You don't have to earn God's love for you. You don't have to work really hard. You don't have to do everything. He said, I learned to depend on that God's daily grace. I learned that that prayer that we pray so often when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, is not some future event. But every single day I pray, God, your kingdom be at work in my life. Not mine, but yours. And every single day I say, Lord, give me today my daily bread. And I recognize that it is for today and for tomorrow and the day after that I am fully dependent on God with my whole life. The last part of that, the cycle that Paul does, he completes it with this idea of proclamation. We are called to be people who proclaim Christ with our whole lives. This is deeply involved in how we stand for Christ. As we stand in the gospel, as we stand in our gospel hope, we remember that it is not all on my own effort. It's not all our own work. As we stand in our gospel hope, we become proclaimers of the gospel. Now, I was, I was talking to my friend earlier who read the scripture, and I, was, I said, you want to preach the gospel? You want to preach today? And she shook her head like... When I, when I say that we're called to be proclaimers, I don't mean that you have to stand up with a microphone and shout out loud. But I, I do think 
A couple of things about being proclaimers. Um, Sarah and I have been talking. We have a new youth sermon series. She's asked people to come and give their testimony. And she said, we were talking about it, she was nervous at first because so often when we think about giving your testimony, we think about these really amazing stories about how I used to do all of these bad things and then God rescued me. And I said, but listen, every person has a testimony. All of us are called, we're charged with in our homes, with our children, or with our, our neighbors, with our friends, at our, at our job, we're called to say, where is God at work in my life? That's the simple power of your testimony. You, when you can just stand up and say, here is what God is doing for me, has done for me. As an example, I can talk about my life before Jesus. That's part of my testimony. But my testimony also is that I have experienced heartache and I know it was only by the grace of God. I experienced the joy of God in very difficult times when I lost my brother. I knew it was the joy of God. It was the strength of God that held me through one of the most difficult times in my life. I, I can proclaim my testimony is that God it was not just at work on that day in high school when I said yes to Jesus and no to all of the things that I was doing beforehand, but God has continued to be at work in my life since then. So I proclaim him with my story. But we also proclaim Jesus by how we use God's resources for us. If you look at the world, if you look at the world around us, you know that there are a million things that you can spend your, your, your money and your time and your energy. Those are sort of limited resources. Um, if, you've, if you have kids, then you know how much uh, energy is a limited resource. When I was in college, I thought it was like an, a renewable resource, but I, I found very quickly with three daughters that it's a limited resource. And the question is, how do you use your limited resources? Well, actually the question is, do you know whose resources they are? See, I have to remind myself daily, there's a practice of saying, God, I know that these are your resources. You have given me this time, you've given me this energy, you have given me these gifts, you have given me this money. This is all yours. How do I want to use it to proclaim that my life, my whole hope and trust is in you? So the reason I give to church, uh, the reason I, I, I uh, spend time in church, um, some people, I tell people all the time that if the Johnsons, if I stopped being a pastor today, today, if I walked away from church, we would be in church next Sunday because the Johnsons don't come to church. I tell my daughters this all the time. We don't come to church because I happen to be the pastor. We go to church because the Johnsons go to church. That's what we're going to do. But that is a conscious choice about what I do with what God has given me. I want to say, I want to be able to look back on my life. I want to be able to look at my bank statement. I want to be able to look at my, my calendar. And I want it all to proclaim that Jesus Christ is King. Not because I'm trying to earn my way into something, but because I know that God loves me so deeply. Because I know the power of, I, I know, I know what it's like to walk outside of God's, of uh, the knowledge of God's love. I know what it's like when I experienced depression and heartache and pain growing up because I was walking outside of the knowledge of what God has done for me. And I know what it means to walk in that love. And so every day I say yes. 
I'll close with this story. I like to think of it like um, there's a guy I mentioned before, I think, uh, Gregory Boyle. He runs Homeboy Industries. Um, he was given a talk, um, he, this gang intervention program, he was given a talk about how Homeboy Industries started. Um, it started with his church, Dolores Street Missions. And he would ask the people at his church, he asked them, what if Hope had an address? What if Hope had an address? He says, when we live the, the calling that we are supposed to call be, to live, when we live with the reality of the kingdom of God, when we live in that hope and the triumph of Christ, we proclaim a hope that is unbreakable by the world. And he says, but the thing is, there are people all around us that are in need of that hope. So what if hope had an address? What if people know, knew that there was a community that would, if they could Google, like, where is hope, the way you Google Domino's, and it said Lakeside UMC. If because of the way we live our lives, the way we give our time, our energy, the reason we call to serve in missions, the reason that we do all of these things is not to earn our way into heaven, but to proclaim what we already know is true, that God's kingdom has come. And if we live that way, he says that we proclaim hope, a gospel hope that can't be diminished by the world. And he says, around us, there are people who are, are wandering around without the address to hope. They don't know where to find it. They're struggling under the burden of debt and pain and sin and brokenness, and they are in need of gospel hope. And he says, we live our lives when we, we receive grace and we stand in the gospel and we proclaim with all of ourselves that Jesus is risen, risen indeed that we proclaim hope. So that when we're at school and we're in, at, at Atascacita High School or Summer Creek or, or, or uh, Umbrella High School or if you're at Wood Creek Middle School or Westlake Middle School or you're at Deerwood Elementary School or you're at your job in the oil industry, wherever you are, as you proclaim hope, you will find that there are people who have their GPS has been broken for years and they don't know where to find it until they bump into you. What if hope had an address and it was right here at Lakeside UMC? The reason that we are gospel people is a response to what God has done for us. But that response becomes a witness for the world around us. Hope is here. Let it be so for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for the hope that you have given us and for the grace that rests, rules, and abides in our hearts. And God, we pray that we would live as gospel people each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and join in singing our closing hymn. Let it be a prayer for us today.